I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. I am a little bit sad today. Why? Because only 22 years after we buried the Assyrian Empire, we will bury another country that has been a great actor, mainly as a nemesis for the Assyrian Empire, but their time has come and they will now perish. Hmm. Who is it? It's Urartu. Ah, poor Urartu. They always get a bad deal. And I've talked to a lot of listeners about Armenia and Mm -hmm. the connection between Urartu and Armenia. And we'll soon get to Armenia. But this is not Armenia. It's located quite near about the same area. And I'm sure some of the people that lived in Urartu will show up in Armenia as well. But this is the end of Urartu. This is the time when all their mountain fortresses will be torched and destroyed. And their defense system that worked so well against the great kings of the Assyrian Empire, they will finally fall. Wow. And the person overlooking all of this is probably Rusa IV. The Urartu record is quite bad at this point as things okay. are going south for them pretty quickly. And it's probably because of the power balance after the fall of the Assyrian Empire, because we now see two big empires uh, rearing their heads, looking for more power, the Babylonians and the Medes. Mm -hmm. They did cooperate to get the Assyrians, but a confrontation is getting closer and closer. Yeah, brewing. Yeah, while Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians are out west doing things to Jerusalem, which we'll talk about in the next episode, the Medians invade Urartu. And in Mm -hmm. 590, probably, 
they sack the capital, Vaan. And this effectively ends Urartu. There are like, like the Assyrian resistance in the cellar, there are some records after this, but this is the end of Urartu. Many Urartian ruins of this period show clear evidence of being destroyed by fire. Hmm. And actually, in about a hundred years, there will be something called Armenia in this location. But we'll talk about that in the 520s. I, I mean, I guess like the Medians, the Medes were able to, they didn't have to, they didn't have to, uh, control the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They didn't have to um, worry about their homeland like the Assyrians did. Like every time the Assyrians went into Urartu, the Babylonians would revolt, you know. And every time they go here, something else. Same thing would happen with um, Babylonia. Every time they go, he goes into the Levant, then some Elamites come around. So the Medes were kind of must have had their eastern flank pretty pretty good, so they could just put all their effort into Urartu, just keep going that way. Yeah, and also remember that all the Urartu defenses were built uh, protecting them from an attack from the south. Oh, good point. But the Medes are coming from the east. <clears throat> good point. Yeah. And they have those, I mean, I guess they're horses. And I wonder if they had boots and everything like the Assyrians. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. But I bet they didn't get, find that. Remember that um, that little teaser of what's new in history we did? But they, we found that. Urartan Fortress, like 3,300 yes. meters. Yeah, that one might have made it. There's only six guys in that one, though, too. <laughs> <laughs> Having a meeting. <laughs> yeah, t- t- telling each other how they should throw out the meads. Yeah, right. We'll get those meads. <laughs> so Saxarus is still the king of the meads. Mm-hmm. And he, he then is expelling the Sidians as well. Hmm from his area. So the Sudians retreat into the Pontic Steppes. It's like he's setting up a final showdown with the Babylonians. Now the Sudians yeah. are out. Urartu is gone. And we shall see in the 580s if there is open hostility between the Medes and Babylonia. Oh. There is some trouble in Azerbaijan, actually. There's oh. a splinter group of Sidians that tries to form a kingdom, but the Medes say that this is our area. So they yeah. throw them out of there. Yeah, it seems that the Scythians are not, um, they, you know, they only get organized every so often, every few generations. Right now, they're, not, they're, they're more tribes. Their tribes are divided. I guess it depends on if you have a strong Scythian chieftain that can, con- exactly. that can control other chieftains. 100%. But some Sidians seek refuge with the Lydians. Oh. And whose side will Aljatis pick if it comes to big showdown between Babylonia and the Medes? I wonder. But the Medes are not happy about Lydian protection for the Sidians. Okay. And th- this is a, an episode of death for people we have talked about so many times. Because we can now also scratch out the Manians. Wow. They kind of disappear from history here. They are probably totally conquered and assimilated by the Medes. And they pretty much disappear from history at this point. It's a real big turning point, isn't it? This, yeah, so this, this, no Rartu, no Assyrian Empire, no Manians. 
And yeah. I, I'm not done. Ah. You, you kind of hinted about this in our last episode. Oh. But it is, this is also the final days of the Cimmerians. The great oh. barbarian invasion is over. And Aljates, king of Lydia, he liked the Sidians, or at least some of the Sidians, but he definitely does not like the Cimmerians. No. They have been a finger in his eye for so long, and now he kicks them out of history. Yeah. They killed his grandfather, Gyges. Great yes. grandfather. So now it's time for revenge. Conan and his buddies are gone. Burr, burr. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. So the oh. Decidians helped. Um, some background. Soon after Aljatis' ascension and early during his reign, when the Assyrians were quite around, uh, were still around, uh, the Sidians under King Magyes uh, did, did defeat Samarians together with the Lydians. All right. And then the Medes expelled the Scythians, which we just talked about. So the final defeat of the Samarians was carried out by the Scythians remaining uh, in Lydia and then Aliates. And this is... Uh, so Strabo says that uh, the Scythians did, did the deed of destroying the Samarians, while Herodotus and Polyanus claim that Aliates did it. I think Aliatis had all kind of troops, foreign troops. I don't, you never hear the Lydians having a big population and big armies, but they had a lot of money. So we know they had Greek, Carian mercenaries. Probably they probably had a lot of Scythian mercenaries. You know, sort of like the Byzantines, where they all these tough guys around them. They would hire them. That's how I see it. So now Lydia is in a much better position because they have been fighting the Sumerians for so long, but now they have Scythian allies. They can expand Lydia east into Phrygia. Yeah. And there, of course, he runs up against the Medes, who has right. just destroyed Urartu. Right. And open conflict breaks out. But uh -huh. we will continue that in the 580s. Yeah. So the Medes were really working themselves up to dealing with the Babylonian Empire and take over the world. But they have to deal with Lydia first. And then, right. of course, Lydia gets a natural ally, right? Who is it? Oh, they could go to the Babylonians to tell, if, they, if these guys do us in, oh, they yeah, will come right. for you next. <clears throat> Look what yeah. happened to the Manians, to Roar, to, to the Samirs. Oh, yeah. well, that was us. <laughs> but, yeah. But, as long as Neb but Nebuchadnezzar is so busy, I think the last thing he wants to do is fight Medes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There is also a minor kingdom in Cilicia who has a king called Cyanesis. And Cyanesis uh, sees this conflict starting, and he is—he um, has some sort of cooperation with Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, and he's given the the mission to mediate between the Medes and Lydia. Wow! But you know, that will story there. That will be for next time for the five eighties episode after we've done with the Jerusalem things. Oh, I want to hear about that. I want to find out about that. I'm like, literally, that sounds. Imagine that guy's position. I mean, he's between these three huge empires, and he's got a. Wow. So now we have to um, talk about another big player coming up, but not for a long time. It's Rome. Amazing. All these things happening in this decade. So what's happening in Rome, uh, in Rome in the five nineties? Mm, pretty much crickets. Ah, crickets. Lucius Tacunius Priscus is still the king. There is probably some sort of little town called Rome. Okay. But uh, we talked already about how poor our sources are for Rome. But we'll yeah. we'll um, let you know what the Romans credit Lucius Tacunius Priscus with during this era. Okay. And it's very unclear when he does those things. And his reign is super long. Of course. But um, the Senate is around, they okay. say. And it's 200 guys in the Senate from these uh, powerful families. Okay. But Tarquin increases their number to 300. He adds 100 loyalists to the Senate to further his control of Rome. Okay. And uh, one of these families is the Octavii, mm. which is actually the family from uh, from which the first emperor comes, Augustus. Amazing. But he's far ahead in the future. For sure. But how amazing is that? Another little, from the 590s, if something gets started, little seed, little butterfly wings, flaps. Look what happens. Yeah, but Tarquin is doing great here. He he got voted to be the king, and now he can uh, increase his control of Rome. He's also credited with conquest. Uh, so he fights the Latins, the Sabines, and the Etruscans. Uh, and he conquers some something, some villages, a field here or there, <laughs> maybe uh-huh. a, a hill. Is this the part of the Sabines where they take the Sabine women? No, that is a legend that happened, uh, oh. according to the legend, happened about uh, 
yeah, 140 years before this. Oh, oh, okay, okay. So we have a war with the Latins, and there we have some details. He takes a Latin town, Apioliae, sacking it, takes great booty from there back to Rome. This is probably just uh, around the corner from Rome. Yeah. And uh, some people have tried to time this war with the Latins, and it has to be before 588 BC. That's why I placed it here. Okay. Uh, There were peace treaties between the Latins and uh, the old Roman kings, but the Latins claimed that these peace treaties no longer applied with an Etruscan ruling Rome. Okay. So then they, of course, started the war, according to our Roman sources, and Tarkin just had to go and conquer the city because he had to defend himself. Of course, the Romans always defend themselves. (laughs) Yes, the Romans never attack anyone. It's always defense. They built the biggest empire on the defense. (laughs) And Tarquin put these conquered Latins into the Roman armies to get even more soldiers. Ah. So the Latins feel that this guy is a bit threatening, so they ask the Sabines and the Etruscans to help them. But uh, Tarquin does not let this distract him, so he keeps attacking the Latins and ignores the Sabines and Etruscans for now, which meant that he won this war with the Latins. Mm-hmm. Tarquin is also credited with building the Circus Maximus. Did, oh. did I mention the Circus, Max, Circus Maximus before? I don't think so. This uh, is, of course, the Chariot Racing Stadium. It seems people know more about the Colosseum, which is built much, much later. But much later, yeah. Circus Maximus is actually the largest stadium for any sport built in human history. No way. It's about three times the size of the greatest football stadium in the world. Is it still there? No. It's just a piece of grass in Rome today. Oh, wow. And it started as just a piece of grass. But somebody built it up into a grand and beautiful stadium. And I am very skeptical if somebody says that it was this grand and beautiful stadium in the 590s BC. It Seriously. was probably quite a gradual thing. Yeah, right. It's probably a field of grass with a couple of seats on the side. But Tarkin, <laughs> Tarkin, <laughs> Tarkin is really this peg on a wall, like the yeah. other Roman kings, where you hang things that you don't know exactly. from where they came. So Tarkin is credited with establishing the uh, schedule of the horse racing oh. and like setting up the rules for chariot racing. Of course he did. Which is probably already present in Etruria. That's a real important thing for a king to do. But his intentions, according to the sources, was that this was to be the biggest racing stadium in the world. In human history. Yes. So it was all built in an enormous scale. But That's interesting. That's not all he built. What else? I've already mentioned the Cloaca Maxima. Room's great sewer. Yeah, we did talk something about that. Yes, and that's also credited to him. Oh. He also built a stone wall around Rome and made the Jupiter Optimus Maximus Temple on the Capitoline Hill. Way to go, Tarkin. Next time, 
on the history of Rome. No, next time in Phantom History in the 580s, <laughs> Tolkien will now introduce another Roman custom, the triumph. But that's for the 580s. All right. Way to go, Tarkin. He's very um, prolifically working hard. He's a hard worker, that Tarkin. Oh, yes. And, uh, of course, we have no idea how much of this is really true. But these things are there later, and somebody put them there. It could have been Tarquin. Right. I mean, if it wasn't, we we're, we're, well, you know, our narrative here, we're telling what these are the things that happened around this, this time. You know, this is when these things were started, the sewer, the, the, the chariot race, all that kind of stuff. Rome is growing. And while we were talking about Rome, we could also talk about their future nemesis, mm-hmm. Carthage. Yeah. We are getting close to recorded Carthage history. There are named rulers of Carthage starting in 550 BC. The first treaty with Rome is in 509 but we're still kind of in legendary territory in Carthage. Okay. But something is going on in the great city of seafarers. Yeah. And it's still, because it's still a colony of uh, Tyre right now. Oh, in, na- I mean? in name only. Yeah, but I mean, there still is a Tyre. Yes, but the Phoenicians. Yeah, not a flat tire yet. <laughs> the Phoenicians <laughs> in the mainland are being hired by the pharaoh. No, they they were Carthaginians. So the Phoenicians in the heartland are much reduced in power and uh, having yeah. a lot of problems with Babylonians and yes. everybody else. While Carthage is growing stronger and stronger. I bet a lot of people are leaving and probably going to Carthage. Well, it seems like a good place to go to, right? Yeah, right. I mean, if you speak your language, just think of it. If you're having pressure of another, you know, another country giving all this pressure, and you're making wars are happening, you could go to a place where they speak your language, and you could, you're, you know, you're a sailor, your ship. That's your business. I remember these people are the inventors of the alphabet, so I bet there are flyers like, come to sunny Carthage, forget about Nebuchadnezzar and Al Jattas and all those guys. We rule the Mediterranean. Come yeah. to us. Yeah, good point. So Carthage is now colonizing in its own name. So one of the areas colonized is uh, the Syrtis region in Tunisia and Libya. Yeah. And the existing Phoenician colonies in Africa, they sort of forget their ties to the heartland and sort under Carthage now. Okay. And Carthage apparently was very – they're very good at – they're traders, right? But they were also um, good agriculturalists. There's apparently – there's a book. There's a you know, treatise on how to – you know, an agricultural treaty. I think it survives and it's from Carthage. And oh. I know like – yeah, even like during the Punic Wars, there was factions where some were like, hey, I'm not worried about – we're not worried about the colonies. We're worried about our agricultural you know, goods and stuff. So – I imagine they were expanding that at this time too. Well, they definitely were. We know they were, you know, focused on expanding their home territory and their um, overseas empire, trading empire. I don't think it's very clear when the other Mediterranean colonies of the Phoenicians fall under Carthaginian influence, but that will happen. I have to say, the more I learn about Carthage, the more I get really pissed off at the Romans for destroying everything. 
Yes, remember this is a people that trades and Carthage is very much a company. And it's also so... Uh, all our sources are Roman and it's their great enemy. So they will tell you all kind of bad things about Carthage. Right. I, I like what you just said, though. It's like a company. That was really... That was some, but they, they but they also were they were you know they they were like a company yeah with um because they didn't really have a king per se even at this time I think you know they were more like <laughs> they have kings know? from five fifty that we know the names okay. of so they probably have a king now but yeah. it's not like what you think of when you hear the word right. king it's not like an Assyrian king where it's top down and that's that and he'll flay everybody they had you know they had. Uh, I don't know what they would call it, but some sort of council and things like that. To actually take this company uh, thing further, you could you could think of the Carthaginian king as the CEO of Carthage mm-hmm. Inc. Right. Because they're elected by the Senate, that is the board of Carthage Inc., and they serve for a set time period. Right. So there's an election in Carthage itself, the king, the early king seems to be war leaders, civic administrators, and of course the performers of religious duties like the Phoenician mm. kings. Gotcha. According to Aristotle himself, uh, the kings of Carthage were elected on merit and uh, not by the people, definitely, but by the Senate. And you right, couldn't right. inherit the kingship. Oh, right. So that is definitely not like an Assyrian king at all. But Aristotle says that uh, you could actually influence the election with your great wealth. Oh, um, that's uh, not much has changed. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the first kings seems to have too much power. So the Senate restricts the power of the kings gradually. Okay. And eventually this kingship is fairly democratic if you are a powerful Carthaginian noble in the Senate. Over time, military command fell to professional officers. And we will see when the Carthaginians fight, they rely heavily on money. And money will buy you mercenaries. Right. So in the great wars with Rome... The armies of Carthage are mainly mercenaries. Uh-huh. I think the navy, the navy is a lot of the Carthaginians, right? And then the army, the, the soldiers. Yes, the and the, the leadership, the officers are Carthaginians. Right, gotcha. We know that in the time between 550 and 310, two families uh, produce a lot of kings. But we'll talk about that uh, later. Pretty soon. Five fifties are going to be pretty. Uh, oof, we'll probably be on the five fifties for a year. Uh, yes, there are some interactions between the uh, Carthaginians and the Etruscans on the Mediterranean. Yeah, but the Etruscans don't go very far from Italy. Which the Phoenicians do, especially if they circumvented uh, Africa. Right. Yeah, they're they'd be focused on that part right now. But Although that is brewing with the Greeks up there by Marseille, I think. Yes, the main concern for the Carthaginians are the Greeks. 
rightly so. And that's where we leave the Carthaginians for this time, but they will okay. be back. We yeah. still have a couple of years to go before we run into Hannibal and people like him. Yeah, yeah. A couple uh, hundred. And his very underrated father, Hamilcar. Hamilcar. Yeah. All right. Well, we get to them. We'll get to them. All right. Now we will publish uh, two a little unusual episodes. Do you want to tell the listeners about them? Yes. Pretty soon, if we haven't already played them by now, <laughs> we have, um, I would like you to check out our new series called What's New in History? And we will be covering different events that we find, well, not like new events, but new things that we find, new archaeology, new DNA evidence, even new thoughts, any, you know, new the way of looking at things that scholars have. And it's just a fun little, It's and it's going to be a work in progress now. A couple episodes I did, you know, we talk about what happened. Then I give a little background. It's a lot, I'm having fun with it. I hope you guys check it out. It may be, it's also even like, you know, some of us are kind of, use the word hardcore history fans. Like we're like into this hardcore ancient history, but this is a little lighter. So you could have your friends, you could, you know, be at work and say, hey, what's new? And you say, what's new in history? That's what's new, man. You could, you know, share that with them. So sort of like a, what's the word? It's like a gateway to the fan of history. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> so we'll keep the main narrative going, but we'll also give you some news about history, alternating yep. between the two. Correct. So please check that out. Check out our Facebook page. Check out our Patreon. You could send me, you could drop off bags of money to Dan's house. You could drop off bags of money to my house, or you could just give us a little bit on Patreon. We appreciate it. Anything we do, you do helps. We, um, I love doing this. I want, a little extra money makes it easier. I want one of those Marduk mattresses so I can sleep That's right. like a god. Sleep like a god. If you have a busy day storming the castle, you can sleep on one of Marduk's mattresses, thanks to our sponsor, Marduk's Mattress Emporium. And um, like they always say, 80, guaranteed to be at least 85% free of biting insects and bed bugs. Only made with the finest straw. How many of the bed bugs carry the plague? No, no plague at this time yet. Okay, that's extra. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> yeah, plague, plague is extra. <laughs> uh, one final thing I missed about Carthage. Tell me. If you want to hear more about Carthage before this, the last time we actually took them, uh, took any amount of time with Carthage was back in episode 32 in February of 2016. So that's how little we know about Carthage between the founding and uh, the 590s. Oh, wow. Well, go check out episode 32. You'll be all caught up. I better check it out, too. I'm going to write that down. It's probably we'll have horrible audio, but please forgive us for that. That's okay. All right. So it's time for uh, Jerusalem and Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, the next episode... If there's not a um, what's new in history in between it, will be the next episode on our narrative will be uh, about Jerusalem, which is another major event. Man, I'm telling you, the 590s, I used to say the 600s were big, but the 590s, holy cow, a lot of turning points in history going on here. Uh, this is a world-changing event, right? Absolutely. This is something that affects us today. Today. And the world right would have today. been a very different place if Nebuchadnezzar had not done what he did. Yeah. 
100%. Definitely would have been different. So stay tuned to Final History and we'll tell you all about it. All right. All right. See you later, Dan. Cheers. Cheers. Take care. Adios. Uh, sorry, I have to answer the phone. Okay. Don, honey. Uh, nej, tack. So, that was short. <laughs> I think we should keep that in. <laughs> If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.